Hello everyone, welcome to our weekly broadcast. As usual, we'll start with a short guided meditation. If you have any questions, you can start posting them already in the chat. And the second part of the broadcast, we'll answer the questions. But for now, just close your eyes. And start by watching the stomach rising and falling. If you can't feel it, you can put your hand on your stomach. And when the breath goes into the body, the stomach expands. When the breath goes out of the body, the stomach contracts. In English, we call this rising and falling. So when the stomach rises, just say to yourself, rising. And when it falls, falling. I'm not trying to control the breath or modify it, change it. I'm just trying to experience it as it occurs. Rising, falling. Don't say it out loud, just say it in your mind. The word is a means of reminding yourself, keeping the mind with the experience, keeping the mind from getting distracted or lost in reaction or judgment or extrapolation. As you're focusing on the stomach, you'll find that from time to time your mind gets distracted by other objects. This isn't a problem with the practice, this is just a part of reality. We're not trying to change or fix anything, we're just trying to see clearly, see clearly the way things are, and the nature of our experiences. So. When you are distracted by something besides the stomach, just focus on that object and remind yourself the name of that experience. So for example, if you have any feelings, if you feel happy or if you feel calm or if you feel pain or aching or soreness, just note that feeling. Take it as an object of meditation saying to yourself, happy, happy, or calm, calm, 
or pain, pain. Try not to judge it. Trying to avoid any kind of judgment, good or bad. Uh, avoid it by reminding yourself, hey, this isn't good or bad, this is just pain, or this is just pleasure or calm. And just stay with it until it goes away, and when it's gone, just go back to the rising, falling. Another object of distraction, of course, is our thoughts. Thinking about the past or future, good thoughts, bad thoughts, all sorts of different kind of thought. But in the end, whatever we think about, past, future, good, bad, it's all just thought. So we just remind ourselves thinking, thinking. Doesn't matter what kind of thought. We're not trying to stop ourselves from thinking. Just trying to see the thinking clearly, experience it for what it is, not get caught up in it or react to it. I say thinking, thinking, and the thought should go away, and then you can go back to the rising and falling. If you're thinking a lot, you can note the state of mind, distracted, distracted.
You can be mindful, of course, of other mind states as well, liking, disliking. If you feel drowsy or tired or restless, worried, any doubt or confusion, just note the state of mind if you like something or want something, say liking, liking, or wanting, wanting. If you dislike something, say disliking, disliking. Or any other kind of disliking like boredom, sadness, depression, frustration, fear, anger. Just note whatever it is you experience. Angry, angry, frustrated, bored, bored, sad, sad, afraid, afraid. Until it goes away and then just go back to the rising and falling. If you feel drowsy or restless, say drowsy, tired, or restless, restless, anxious, worried. Any doubt, say doubting, doubting, confused, confused. And finally, you can as well be mindful of any of the senses that arise. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling. Try and note these. If you see something, don't just stare at it. Maybe with your eyes closed, you still see lights, colors, pictures. Try and say to yourself, seeing, seeing, just to remind yourself of the experience. Keep your mind with the experience. Hear a sound outside or in your head, say hearing, hearing. Smelling, tasting, feeling. Try and just note whatever the experience is. Smelling, smelling, tasting, tasting, feeling, feeling.
All right, so we can now move on to the question and answer portion. Welcome, of course, to continue to meditate mindfully, listening and noting your experiences as well. But again, if you have questions, just post them in the chat from here on. We'll only accept questions in chat. Anything else will be removed. Thank you, Bhante. We do have questions. I occasionally have temper tantrums. It is then very difficult to be mindful. I often regret afterwards. What can I do? Well, you can be mindful. That's all you can do. Mindfulness isn't going to fix that. It's going to help you see it more clearly. And seeing it more clearly will change your habits. Well, eventually fix it. But don't expect mindfulness to somehow stop you from getting angry or having difficulty or regretting it. It will help you see all those things more clearly and the wisdom, the understanding and the clarity of mind, that's what will fix things. When I am mindful while indulging in sensuality, I find it unsatisfying. But if I am not mindful, it seems satisfying. This leads to a view that it is mindfulness that makes sensuality unsatisfying. How to proceed? Well, that doesn't lead to such a view. Your other view is uh, based on unmindfulness delusion and defilements in the mind, so you have to note them as well. But your correlation is not causation. Uh, delusion is what's leading you to that view, not, uh, not that experience. That experience is showing you that mindfulness is showing you some, something that you don't normally see straightening out a, a distortion in your mind. Mindfulness doesn't change the experience. It helps you see it more clearly. It's like the blue pill or the red pill. Your choice. It's not quite like that, in fact. Um, it's like uh, eating a feces sandwich without realizing it's feces or knowing that it's feces. Because eventually you're going to taste and smell it. How can we choose one thing to be mindful of and also not ignore anything that arises in our field of awareness? Well, there's only ever one thing in your field of awareness. So you don't choose, you note what is what you experience. If you're experiencing lots of things in rapid succession, then your mind is distracted. You should note distracted, distracted. How does taking whatever interrupts you from your current object as your object not conflict with choosing purportedly one of many objects to be your object? This is uh, very similar. Um, yeah, we get these questions a lot, and the problem here isn't the practice. The problem much more likely is the state of mind. You have to note this wondering or doubting state that asks these questions or that worries about these things. Mindfulness isn't rocket science, it's pretty simple. Note whatever arises, once it's gone, go back to your base object arising and the falling of the stomach. If there's lots of things arising, note distracted, distracted. How does 
note what's most prevalent in my awareness, jibe with if I'm taken away from an object at all, I should note whatever it was that arose. The latter seems to dictate that I flit from object to object. Well, these are thoughts you have, so you should note thinking, thinking. So the kind of questions you should note wondering, wondering, and let them go. I find that sometimes I'm very neutral and emotions are mostly quiet about most things since this practice. However, it has become apathetic and kind of lifeless and demotivated. Any advice? Well, again, correlation is not causation. Uh, your life is, your mind has probably changed. You can see some good changes, that's great, but your mind is always changing. So the mind comes up with all sorts of tricks that try and take us away from clarity of mind, that try to distort our awareness. So you have to know whatever, if you feel demotivated, that's just an experience. If you feel apathetic or lifeless, those are experiences. That's not because you're meditating. Uh, it's because you're changing, and you're always changing in many different ways, good and bad. But uh, it's important that you note all these experiences. I feel a lot of fear due to the war and all the news. I'm trying to note my fear and just observe it, but I feel I need more guidance. It's affecting my life on multiple levels now. Please help. Well, that feeling of needing guidance is something, unfortunately, that you have to be mindful of as well. Um, mindfulness, again, isn't curing things. It's helping you see them more clearly. You have to allow the seeing more clearly to occur so that you become more objective and, and less reactionary to things. But part of that is seeing that you don't even have control over your fear. You can't just say afraid, afraid, and poof, you're no longer afraid. You have to actually see that the fear is out of your control, unmanageable, until your mind starts to disincline to give rising, giving rise to fear. It disinclines that way because it sees that fear is not worth it, it's not helpful. You have to understand it, it as a bad thing on a deeper level than you'd currently do. If you really understand that something is bad, it won't arise in the mind. So that, that kind of understanding is deeper, is, is more pronounced, and requires honesty and, and patience. Rather than trying to get rid of your experiences or change your experiences, it requires you to be, be um, ready, prepared to look at them, to face them without flinching. I have been diagnosed with ADHD, but I don't wish to take medication for it. I believe mindfulness can help. Any advice on to delaying with resistance work and tasks and not procrastinating everything? Well, like again, you have to be prepared to experience ADHD. Mindfulness isn't going to, again, stop that from happening. Mindfulness is going to help you stop reacting to it. So you'll be able to experience quite clearly what it means to have ADHD and, and what exactly you're experiencing. Because ADHD is just a name for uh, a set of states or a pattern of behavior. So you have to instead note that pattern of mental behavior. You know, note the the the, the aspects of that habit or that pattern. Sorry, uh, what what are the actual mind states that arise? And it's not really hard to catch them. It's just hard to face them without flinching, without reacting. So that's the challenge. You need patience and perseverance. You have to understand it's not a quick fix. It's not really, a, you have to see it as not a direct fix, but just a greater clarity about the problem, because that clarity, again, fixes things over time. No, not over a long time, but it it's a passive change. It's not your active change where you're changing things. The work you're doing seems disconnected from the fix because all you're doing is you know focusing on the problem, and so you see it very clearly as though you're, you're it's getting worse because now you have to face it. 
So the feeling is not of any kind of fixing, but you see it fixing it, it almost being fixed passively because of the greater clarity. How important is sense restraint for the practice? Sense restraint is a useful practical practice. I mean, it's not going to fix your problems or take away your desire or aversion or your reactions, um, but it's good for limiting the scope of, of things you might react to. So if you, when you walk, you look down at the ground, it'll help you stay focused and, and a, a greater... Um, proportion of mindfulness in your day that's what sense restraint allows but you can't think of it as some kind of fix or quick fix um, but the other kind of sense restraint is what comes from actually being mindful because mindfulness restrains the senses in a different way it keeps the reactions from arising so that you're able to have a greater clarity of mind and see things uh, for what they are and and in as wisdom like that arises um, there's a lesser potential for future arising of reactions because you've come to see the things you react to as not worth reacting to i recently had an experience while meditating where i lost the ability to note or even know that I couldn't note, and I couldn't remember how or when it happened. Did my mind disappear somewhere? Well, your mind is not a thing. Um, sounds like it was uh, an experience or a set of experiences. It's gone now, so don't worry about the past. Just try and note what's present. I am new to meditation. Some members of my family are becoming open to what I am doing. Can I show others how to meditate? Is there a danger in this? There's no obvious danger. I mean, you, uh, any work that someone does with the mind is uh, powerful, and powerful things have a potential danger inherent in them. So. As long as there's an understanding that you're dealing with something powerful and uh, you don't try to overstep that, get too confident or manipulative in terms of uh, gaslighting or psychologically uh, manipulating people. I mean, obviously that's not what you're talking about. I mean, it's just a caution. That's the biggest caution because as long as you're honest and um, sincere and they are honest and sincere, yes, absolutely. Showing others how to be mindful is not hard. There's not any deep or um, obscure teachings, not, not for basic practice. Uh, there's, there's another danger in wanting to teach others, and that's just a danger to yourself mostly, as that doesn't usually work out. So if you're pushing it on people, that's often a problem. When I am outside, lust and related thoughts of fear and anxiety arise with great strength. When I am inside my room or during formal mindfulness meditation, they are weak or not frequent. Any advice? I'll stay in your room more. It's a, it's a useful practical thing. Be more mindful outside. I mean, basically, practice. Um, I don't. I don't have any spe special advice. I mean, you're describing your experience in meditation. I don't see any um, anything you're doing wrong. So you haven't described you're you're doing anything wrong. So as far as advice goes, I don't have any. Uh, I would only have advice if you were not sure what was right or what was wrong. But you're just describing experience, and so. You should be mindful of all of those experiences that you describe.
We don't want to put things in a category to say, this is good or this is bad. But when I eat and it tastes good, I'm already putting this in a category. How to avoid this? Well, we're not trying to avoid anything per se. Um, I mean, your attitude can't be one of avoiding. That's problematic. Your attitude should be one of seeing clearly. Um, the thing is that seeing clearly is what avoid what helps to prevent or uh, yeah prevent uh, reactions of liking or disliking. But that can occur even when you've already liked or disliked something because you like and dislike uh, after originally liking that you can like the fact that you liked it or you can reify the liking or, or reaffirm the liking. So it's never too late to start noting. It, otherwise it, it perpetuates and gets out of control. How do I become stronger in metta practice? Well, practice it is one way, but an important thing to know about metta is is it's easier, of course, when your mind is pure, right? It's harder when your mind is impure. So mindfulness practice is a great way to get stronger. And in practicing metta, you'll find that you become uh, more kind and and considerate than before through practicing through practicing mindfulness. When I meditate, after some minor trembling in the body, my hands begin to tingle with a pleasurable warmth. Is trying to let this feeling spread throughout the body beneficial? Trying to have anything um, occur or, or persist or um, cease, trying like that is craving. And you should note that wanting, wanting. If you like something, you should say liking, liking. There's no benefit in wanting or liking. They are the cause of the. Uh, they're the cause of suffering. They're what keep us keeps us tied to samsara, seeking ever and ever things that can't satisfy us. Is noting a rising and falling of the stomach a must, or can one focus on the in and out of the breath in meditation? Depends what you mean by a must. Um, if you want me to teach you anything, it's a must. But um, you're, it's a free world, obviously. I mean, I'm sure you, you're aware of that. So uh, I guess if you're asking in our tradition, or in my opinion or something, because clearly I'm not, I'm not going to say that, yes, everyone must and those who don't must be stopped, right? Um, but certainly in our tradition, probably what you're asking is, if, you, if, if for, for, for taking me as a teacher, for example, right? Or for practicing in this tradition. Uh, in this tradition, the, it's not the arising and falling, it's the rising and falling. And rising and falling is just an English word. What we mean is the expanding and the collapsing of the abdomen, the tensing and the relaxing. So you can note those as well. Uh, but it's different than in and out because nothing ever comes into the body experientially. It's only conceptually you conceive of the breath coming into the body. You don't experience it. So it's uh, not as clear to say in out. It's much easier to get into conceptual reality that way and, and con uh, samatha practice. For vipassana, it's much better to focus on the actual um, physical sensation. And one very good one is the stomach, the tensing and the relaxing. When I'm in a sitting position, my body aches too much. It distracts me a lot from the practice. Is this part of the practice? Is it okay to shift, or shall I keep observing to the point of pain? Yeah, Vedana it's called. There are four Satipatthana. I don't know if you've read our booklet on how to meditate, but uh, 
Yeah, I don't know if you have. It looks like you might not have. So I'd recommend reading our booklet. If you're interested, you could take an at-home meditation course. But Vedana is one of the four satipatthana. And when Vedana arises, you know, uh, for example, aching, aching, or pain, pain until it goes away. It absolutely is a part of the practice, just as pleasure is, just as calm is. Once it's gone, then you just go back to the rising and falling. What should I know about a Vipassana retreat before jumping into it? Well, the best thing um, in our tradition now uh, is to do an at-home course first. Then you don't have to just jump into it, because jumping into it is hard if you've never done it before. Doing the at-home course makes it a lot easier, even though it takes a lot longer. Uh, we recommend it because you usually have time before you're intending to do the retreat anyway, so spend that time preparing uh, as far as other practical things, uh, I, I don't. I don't have much. I mean, I think it's just read our booklet, and if you understand everything that's in there, and and if you can do the at home course, if not, um, read the stuff on our website about how to prepare for the course. There's nothing special. You should know that it's a challenge and uh, requires fortitude of mind. Um, that you're going to be relying very much on your own power. You're not going to be relying on me to coddle you or push you through it. And it's hard. So make sure you're ready for it. Comparing myself with others makes me disheartened, like I am so far behind them. This leaves me unmotivated to work toward my goals. Any advice on this? Oh well, great, you've got a good thing, a very clear thing to be mindful of, the disheartened state, sad or whatever it is. So it's good that you have something easily recognizable to be mindful of. You should note that feeling. Uh, the feeling of being unmotivated. Unmotivated is a little bit of a, a misleading name because it's not quite what you're experiencing. You have to look and see what you're actually experiencing. Is it dislike of what you're doing? Is it desire or craving or a liking of, of the pleasure of not doing, you know, of, of relaxing, of taking it easy, etc.? Try and note what you experience. My unforced breath cycle when resting is rather long by years of asthma exercises and woodwinds playing, several seconds between breaths. Should I note waiting if nothing clear appears in my senses? You can also note sitting. Just note that you're sitting. You can even just say sitting. Sitting, that's being aware of the sensations, uh, the physical sensation of sitting. find myself having the knowledge that things are unsatisfying, but still desiring something to satisfy. Any advice? Well, have you heard of this thing called Buddhism? Uh, mindfulness? If you're interested, you can read our booklet and uh, do an at-home meditation course. We've got links and everything there. Um, I mean, I guess the one advice I would give is... Um, understand that knowledge and understanding are two different things right you can clearly see that you're missing something even though you think you or you you consider that you already to some extent understand and, and that's true it's not not discounting that but you can see that that's not enough and you have to understand that it's not that understanding is not enough it's that the understanding that you have is not enough and there's a deeper and a more profound understanding that comes from uh, just observing and seeing clearly. Eventually you get it uh, on a very fundamental level. Um, and then there's no desire to find something satisfying. I mean, it's not quite even just seeing that things are unsatisfying. It's the realization eventually that things can't satisfy. Right, That's deeper. And when you understand that things can't satisfy, then trying to find something that's going to satisfy you is, is irrational and it's just discarded. It just doesn't arise.
Is it okay to share the Dhamma and personal experiences with a friend? I recall you saying you're not allowed to share personal experiences about the Dhamma. Well, we, there's no one stopping. You're not, gonna, you're not disallowed. Right? This isn't high school or something, public school. Um, it's not recommended to share certain um, to share details about your practice with others because it leads to comparing, as someone said. Right? It also leads to expectation, where people are are looking for the experiences that you've had. So details are often problematic, and I'd recommend not talking about the details of your own practice. You can talk. I mean, a good thing to talk about is uh, positive results uh, as encouragement to others. Right, talk about the the benefits of the practice to you. That can be quite helpful. When you say there is no cause and effect, and it's just an experience, does this mean the arising of these states is spontaneous? There is no cause and effect. I hope I didn't say that because that sounds glaringly wrong. Um, I'm not sure in what context I might have said that. It doesn't sound like something I would have said, but I could have slipped up and said that. But um, no cause and effect is um, is wrong, right? It's just not. The only thing that I think technically doesn't have Cause is nibbana and concepts are two things. Nibbana because it doesn't arise, so how could anything cause something that doesn't arise? And concepts, well, because they also don't arise because they're not real. Uh, but I think I'm going to just pass on that question because I don't think it's true. If I said it, I'm sorry, and it was wrong, and I take back what I said, but I doesn't seem like something I would have said. As far as something just being an experience, well, that's not really related to your question. Is it okay to sacrifice legs and spine during meditation by not moving them, forgetting detached and letting them go in irreversible damage? Well, there's nothing intrinsically wrong about it, but, but practically it's a, probably a pretty bad idea. Um, I mean, technically there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think, I mean, I think, I think uh, honestly you could say there's technically something wrong. It's, it's unreasonable and you should never be unreasonable. It's a sign that the person is perhaps being unreasonable. Uh, it's a sign that they're not doing enough to uh, utilize the proper postures both physically and mentally. It's a sign that they're not following the Sabhasava Sutta, where the Buddha said uh, one should avoid things that are going to be problematic, like a charging elephant or like the, the crippling of your limbs. Anything that's going to cripple your limbs sounds like unreasonable. Is uttering Om encouraged in Buddhism, or is there any other singular chant for meditation? Well, om doesn't have any meaning to Buddhists, so whatever it means for Hindus, or, or well, I guess Hindus is the word, is uh, not Buddhist. So if you're going to chant something, it should have a particular meaning or purpose, like it should be related to a specific object, something simple like a color. If you want to just focus on a white disc and say white, white, but I don't teach any of that and it's nothing to do with our practice. So I mean, the answer is really, generally speaking, no. I mean, generally that I'm not going to encourage uh, any such thing. Not saying I'm discouraging it. I'm just saying I'm not going to encourage it. Don't don't read too much into that. It's not like I'm detracting from it. I'm just saying no. I'm not going to encourage it.
Is it impossible to have high career goals and be detached at the same time? Especially when it includes high meat intake and an aggressive mindset for completing our goal. Well, meat intake seems like a bit of a red herring. I wouldn't worry too much about meat intake. Uh, though it, there, I guess there are some hormones related to meat intake, especially when the meat itself has been injected with hormones or whatever. I don't know. Um, but the aggressive mind state, of course, is antithetical to Buddhism. Uh, high career goals are also very, very uh, counterproductive for letting go. So, you, I mean, you can simplify it and say anything that uh, isn't about letting go or is is, is about um, reducing your capacity to let go is going to be contrary to the practice. So impossible and be detached. Yes, it's impossible. Um, yeah, you can't. You, I mean, you're asking, can I be attached and not and and detached at the same time? And and they're you're saying two opposite things. How to let go of the fear that World War Three <coughs> has actually started? Well, we don't practice letting go. Letting go is the result of seeing clearly. How do you see clearly? The, the practice that leads to seeing clearly is mindfulness. So if you're interested, you could read our booklet and maybe do the at-home course. What monasteries would you recommend for a Westerner who wants to join the Theravada Buddhist path? I can't. Um, I, I can't. I don't have any monasteries I could. Uh, I, I could recommend. Um, strongly recommend anyway. I mean, I could suggest, but it, it, that's just because I, I don't. I mean, I, I have no capacity to know what's going on in any of these places, not having been involved with them. So I can suggest there are some centers that I've heard good things about, but you probably find such information on the internet yourself. Are the pure life of a lay person and the pure life of a monk the same or different, and how so? We've delved into non-meditative questions, huh? Yes. Um, I don't know. I'm not so interested in this question, which, I mean, obviously it's not a top-tier question, but I think you don't shouldn't worry too much about this question. Uh, if the question is about like should I or should I consider ordaining, or how strongly should I concern myself with ordaining, or, or so on? I mean, it sounds like you might just be intellectually asking, so I wouldn't encourage such intellectualization. Um, worry to worry more about or concern yourself more about your own purity. Uh, but the same goes for ordination. Really, is um, if if your mind is telling you to ordain because you've gained greater purity, then well, that's a good sign that maybe ordination will help you become more pure or help you uh, improve on your practice of purity. Okay, let's stop there then. Um, is there are no other really demanding questions. I have, uh, I have local meditators. So in 10 minutes, we're doing local reporting. We have two meditators here now, which is great. I'm still at uh, this Cambodian monastery, so... In May, there's some talk about moving to a new place, and there'll be more information coming about that. And at the new place, we will have several rooms for meditators and a separate residence uh, for me and reporting area and so on, and a recording area where I'll be able to um, do a more robust recording schedule. Uh, one last announcement. Uh, appreciation for everyone's uh, interest in uh, the work and in the things that I say. It's a, it's a great 
to see that it has benefit and and value to people and and some use uh, some uh, that, that it's providing positive change for people so it's, it's great to see that um, and the announcement is that on YouTube we have just passed 100,000 subscribers for the first time this week so um, that's a great I mean I, I don't think it's as meaningful perhaps as it sounds but um, I mean it's a great thing to to appreciate uh, that people are interested in good things that they're clicking a button on a website as a sign of their interest but more importantly that they are uh, receiving that there are a lot of people who are continuing to um, express interest in and uh, tune in to things like this wherever they can find the teaching of the Buddha so thank you all and keep up the good work. Have a good week. Sadhu. Sadhu.